0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member FDIC. I'm
1: Barnwell, I was just telling him I will never be punctual and I'll always be late and you were just telling me I'm in the right line of work and you were you had a conversation with who? Uh
0: Max Fisher. I don't know who that he knows. was a very prominent figure back in uh during Nixon and uh He said to me one time, he said, I won't do business with somebody who's five minutes late. (sighs) I said, okay. Well, this is a guy who's like, you know, super wealthy, and he turned down cabinet posts with five different presidents because he told them he could be more effective just doing what he was doing. Yeah, And um, I created a database for his wife's, esoteric library you know, a relational database i didn't create the software but a friend of mine did the architecture on the software and i did the data entry so that you it was a relational database and you could look up subjects and it would bring up what books would be relevant in, in the more obvious sense and then i went on and did a, a similar system for her daughter's massive Egyptology and Mesopotamian Studies Library. And uh, so you can look up, say, Canopic Jars of the Middle Kingdom and click it in, and it would tell you which volumes to look in. And uh, the library is just huge. And so I guess... uh, you know, you you uh, contacted me. You wanted to do a show. You didn't say anything about what you wanted to talk about. Nope. And so I thought, well, what what can I talk about? What what can I think about before the show that no matter where he goes, uh, the thinking I've done has some relevance? And so I thought about the, the idea of building a better narrative because that's what we're watching right now. We're, we're seeing... Uh, these globalist-type beta people running around trying to to run herd on all the alpha personalities on Earth and get them to toe the line, right? And how do you do that? You do that by government, by journalism. And that's basically a concept that, that came out of the first imperial press conference in London in 1909, where they had some 650 plus journalists from, from throughout the British Empire, plus key representatives from the United States, from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Chicago Tribune come in there. And they were, it was like a think tank, so to speak of how to build a narrative to be able to successfully maintain the empire as it made its transition from an empire into a commonwealth. And mind you, that's with the mindset that the US is still uh, under colonial status as regards to corporatism and vertical integration. And so... uh, is that obscure enough for you?
1: Yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> it. I like it. Go with it. Well, I'm, well, you I'm, know, right now I'm reading The Devil's Chessboard all about Alan. Yeah, there you go. So this is actually right on. This is all about, yeah, Empire at all costs, the, the, the power elite. Yeah, this is a perfect.
0: Yeah, okay. So we tend to be on the same page probably because we both have kind of a, a meditative approach mm. to life. And uh, in keeping with that, though, I want to share a quotation from the person who I consider my leading inspiration, Dr. Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian philosopher, scientist, artist. And he said, Whatever one may experience, one can look with complete trust towards the future. For just as the crystal first develops out of an alkaline solution, only after it has been vigorously stirred, so also something new can only develop after great upheavals. And this is something he said on November fifth of nineteen oh five. And so there's that whole idea, you know, it gets into like people as of late have been quoting Nietzsche more often than ever. Yeah, but the quote they keep coming up with, even rappers, is uh, "That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger," and that's that's a very insightful uh, view on life. And that's kind of like uh, right in keeping with the the knight templar mindset. Is that that the courage of the templars was based on their their, their dedication to Christ was so complete that they were not afraid of death because they were already dead, mm-hmm. that they had died in Christ, that they died into that Kyrios, that higher part of their being that is beyond space and time and is experiencing this stupendous cosmic drama that we're going through. And so in, in an effort to maintain one's sanity, uh, it's, it's important to be able to step back and and build your own meta-narrative. that You don't want to let these people, who really don't have any concern regarding your safety and well-being, they really don't. Some of them do because they've been fooled by the meta-narrative or they've been bought off or they've been blackmailed or whatever reason they're serving that narrative. But nonetheless, what you're looking at is what is your what is your context within life as a human being? Are you even concerned with with that? Are you do you even know what a human being is?
1: So what is the what is the meta narrative we're watching in real
0: time being formed? Well, I mean, what they're trying to to put on us is is uh, nonstop fear. I mean, if you know, in case uh, people haven't noticed, <laughs> they just turned the page. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I I go to the grocery store and they those little strips that they had uh, tape on the floor to show you how to distance your your uh, shopping cart by six feet. All of a sudden, those are all gone. What happened? She's <laughs> you know? It's done. like okay, we're done. We're done like uh, foisting this upon you and we got a because we got a new narrative now. Take we gotta worry about what's going on over in in Eastern Europe.
1: Take down the Halloween decorations. It's time for Thanksgiving decorations. Take yeah, down the Thanksgiving everybody. decorations. It's time for Christmas.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's so transparent that it, it takes like like George Webb was saying on your podcast the other day is that in in the Time it takes to watch a, a movie, you've already debunked the meta narrative. You know, it's like yeah. basically the games they're playing don't work. And this whole idea that they're going to take down the grid and all of that, they're not going to take down the grid. I mean, if they did, then they're stupider than I even thought they were because the whole basis of their power is, is, is yeah. grid dependent.
1: Yeah. Oh, the whole thing is. Is, is a carefully crafted electronic illusion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, if you go back, I sent you that that little snippet of that video that uh, Yuval Noah Harari mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he's a piece of work, right? He's saying that basically, you know, in all 30 years' time or so, that humans, as we know, it won't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like, where do these people come from? Do they actually think that, that you could take like a uh, current state-of-the-art uh, computer system and, and <laughs> interface it with uh, a human being and come up with something that's viable? I mean, that's just totally retarded, right?
1: It's the guys I, in like 1900 saying, we've discovered everything. Now, wasn't it one of the, I think it was one of the the like the mentors to like Leo Szilard or Einstein? We're basically saying in like nineteen hundred that I forget which one it is, but the quote is something along the lines of, We've now discovered everything in the universe. The only thing left to do is to uh, kind of fine fine-tune the measurements. <laughs> These assholes in yeah. top hats with model T's were like, We figured it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's the the uh I don't know. How would do you go? Do, like, hubris? Good yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the whole idea. And, and see, that's the thing that I've uh, – the hundreds of pro- podcasts that I've done, I've been trying to kind of uh, uh, give people another way of looking at things so that they don't get caught up in that. Because it's like, it's like that little hamster wheel. They want to keep you running on this hamster wheel and feel like you're getting somewhere when when you're not really uh, – with the information they're, they're getting is – being that it's almost all false, you know, it's... What are you supposed to do with that? Well, you walk away, and that's what's happened. There's been this mass exodus from mass media. I mean, you get more views than than uh, CNN, you know? I mean, seriously, in some of your things, you know? Some. you I, I wouldn't yeah, say no, Irish. But a, but a few of them. Sure. And so that... The, the, and, and you're like uh, somebody who's just starting to rise, and there's people around that are massively beyond CNN, like Joe Rogan, for example. And he's he's starting to to, to come to a deeper level. So that if you if you keep working on it, you're going to be able to to uh, build a meta narrative. That that's more of an open set. That's the way I like to frame this. It kind of takes off on on Georg Cantor, uh, the mathematician that that is the really the source of of what's called set theory, and that's the organization of characteristics to be able to uh, come into a relationship with something. Just to give a very insufficient definition of it. But, uh, you know, the whole idea, A plus A, A plus B, B plus A, B plus B, that whole thing that we I joked about on one of your previous podcasts, I told the story. But uh, that there's an open set. And that's the radical idea that you don't have all the information. Yeah. You know, and, and and so I frequently find that I'll make conclusions about things because I... The, the innate desire for a human being to have closure, right? Aha. Yeah. I okay. figured it out. Yeah. And then you look into it and, and you realize that the guy that you're describing as a pure demon is just a guy who's a really nice guy. And and were you to just go have a cup of coffee with him, you'd get along famously. Yeah. But yet this guy's wrapped his head around some kind of meta narrative that it may be very elegant, but a lot of things that sound good aren't true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, like one thing I have always just hated with a passion are clickbait thumbnails on like YouTube. And there's like a whole science behind it. It's like the whites of your eyes, you have to have your mouth open. There's something about the human mind that's attracted to like more attracted to like teeth and tongues. Cause it like, Something in our like deep reptilian brain thinks it's like uh, like like uh, violence is happening. You want to have you don't want to see the full head. You want the the image zoomed in so you don't see like it's part of it's cropped out. There's something that does it with the brain. You want to add a white uh, white outline. You want to have bright colors that there's like a gradient of. It's all of this stuff, and to me, the biggest offender of all time is is Mr. Beast. I've never watched any of his videos but he just looks like this obnoxious kid that I've always just kind of wanted to hit with a bat. And <laughs> and he was on Joe Rogan the other day, and I watched just a couple snippets of it. And I was like, what a nice, cool fucking dude. He just figured out the system. He's just, he's probably looking at me going, yeah, no, clickbait thumbnails are annoying as hell, but I make $50 million a year. And I just, it's just completely down to earth, no ego. Just this sweet dude. He uses tons of money to just like, I think he planted like 2 million trees. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I have had this, my own meta, not even pushed on me by anyone. Just my own. Before I even started the podcast, I was just like, fuck this guy. Fuck his haircut. And I heard him talk for all five minutes. And I was like, what a what a sweet individual. And That's how I try to think of things is I'm like, all right, so what other meta narrative am I now holding in my mind? What if I went and fucking took mushrooms with Fauci? Well, I wouldn't do that. He's a demon. I also didn't like Mr. Beast three days ago, and now I still won't watch any of his videos, but I try to think about something that I truly disagree with, like a Fauci. And who knows, maybe I'd come out of it and i go, no, that guy really is just a demon. Maybe if I fucking hang out with him for three days and we go through his life story and I go through my life story, who's to say I don't come out on that on the other side and go like, yeah, man, he's taking some wrong turns, but he's a human. Now, do I believe that? Not necessarily. But I think you have to keep that open mind. You have to, you know, just because you... You know, if you try to approach like an old friendship <clears throat> that has a grudge, just because you contact that person with an olive branch doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take it. But I think you, it's, I think it's important for you, the individual, to still offer it. And so, yeah, I try to. I, that is a way to kind of frame these meta narratives. Is who knows? I mean, and again, that doesn't mean that. Everyone that you meet, all of a sudden the meta narrative is not true. You might meet someone and go, Oh, the narrative's not even touching the truth. This guy's a demon. But I don't know. I don't really know
0: why Why I just went on that rant, but yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, you don't, don't go nuts. I mean, because Fauci probably is a demon. He probably is.
1: But but I think the point <laughs> is, is, you have to maintain the ability to at least exercise the idea that he's
0: not. Well, yeah, because and and, and we're multifaceted. So, like, the the example that, that everybody's totally sick of, of being a reference, but uh, it's noted that, that Adolf Hitler was very kind to children. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, there's pictures of him patting him on the yeah, head loved gently. His, loved his dog, yeah. And, and yeah, and so... Going back again to Rudolf Steiner and and I I don't have the reference here because I didn't know we were gonna go in this direction, but uh, he once said to the effect that uh, we're all capable of unspeakable acts of horror. And so you have to uh, you have to acknowledge that, that this is something that that it's not just somebody else. People want to project it. You know, the whole idea of projection, of the Jungian concept, is that there's this, this other person out there that's the source of, of all your demons. And, and so you have to utterly eliminate them from the universe. You know, It's kind of like a Marvel comic uh, perspective on life. And whereas like the true monachian view is to be able to enter into uh, a relationship with with that evil and transform it from within. So that, uh, you know, you could uh, figuratively have somebody that, that's really angry at you and they've made a, a commitment to themselves that the next time that they see you, they're going to kick your butt. And they come up to to uh, accomplish that task, and, and you hand them a box of cookies, and all of a sudden they're your buddy. Yeah. You know, so it's like there's a we have a capacity to transform our universe, but half of that equation is us. See, and so uh, what can you do to? to uh, make yourself more capable of being that type of an influence on your world. And that's a very important issue because it has to do with the concept of objectivity and clear seeing, clear thinking, uh, clear acts of will that that they're coming from this kind of clarity. It's like I remember one time I was among the, the first very first people to beat the Dalai Lama when he came to America. And a friend of mine presented him with a question. And mind you, English isn't the Dalai Lama's primary language. He's much better now. But back then, that was very early on for him. And he's listening very humbly and intently to my friend. And then he stands up and he says, more important than being smart, being clear. Yeah. And it was like I can't tell you how many times I've used that quote, and it's it's so uh, so much to the point because unless we have like this kind of like a sense of, of order that that the, 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 that which we call God, Saint John says God is love. Well, what what is what is love? What does that mean? You know, does that mean that God is romantic? You know, I, I mean, it's it's it really is a question in, in in disguise because it it requires the individual to participate in order to come to an understanding of what it chooses to represent, and so uh, God is love, meaning that that the whole idea, if you want to participate in that higher sense of being, then you should proceed lovingly, yeah, and so. You know, like Saint John's, "Love you one another." You know, it's, it's said to be his his last words, and and so there, that's a very very telling lesson that love your enemies. That's a hard one, you know, and and but well, what does that mean? Uh, what can you do to be loving about them? Well, how about having a conversation instead of like you know. Uh, sending missiles at them that'd be for starters maybe one way of looking at it
1: is there any peaceful way out of the situation in ukraine right now i mean does it escalate and escalate and escalate or is there a way that there's a a pressure release is there a way for putin to save face is there a way for the Ukraine not to get slaughtered? And is there a way for this not to just cascade into World War III?
0: Well, that's a good question. And I think really one of the most critical aspects of that question in my mind, with my extremely limited assessment, is that we should hope that uh, Putin stays in power because I'm sure there are much greater forces of chaos that we're not aware of that would love to supplant him and, and you know, put forward whatever their agenda is. And see, that goes back to what is, I think, the, the, the 10th letter of, of the Federalist Papers, uh, where James Madison is talking about the concept of checks and balances. In government and he, he basically and i'm paraphrasing he says you know we've managed to figure out a great deal you know that we we have done the checks and balances between the three branches of government and all of that but there's one thing that that we have not been able to effectively prevent and that's factions mm. and and which is a very telling thing because what's going on right now is we have factions that are acting beyond uh, their authentic authority, shall we say? You know that they, there, there's no reason at all that in in, their, in the sane universe that Klaus Schwab should have the capability that he that he has, but nonetheless. He's spent a great deal of time and energy putting it together for him to have that kind of power, like George Soros and, and and all these this cast of characters. You know, and it goes back. I got a great great quote from from my friend Joe Visconti. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I have to find it here now. I meant to have it, but then I had to. Yeah. Joe is a buddy of mine. He he ran for uh, governor, of Connecticut, and uh, he's also a student of Rudolf Steiner's work. But he's they have this thing: uh, quote yourself, at least someone will listen to you. And he said, and his quote of himself is, "My God, we have the worst people in power at the most critical time in human history." And I think that that is about. <laughs> as clear as, as you could be regarding our current situation. So that being said, the political horizon looks somewhat like a milk crate falling down the stairs. I mean, it it, it appears to be as close to random as can be. And so we just have to say, well, what is the weight of karma? What, what, is, what do we actually deserve in the light of the universal that the particular is going to be subjected to? You know, and so uh, the whole thing has to do with with order, and and they want this this globalist system of order, but the the universe has its own order, and it, it's what was called uh, in Latin, uh, syntagma, right, which which is means orderly arrangement, and that that things can be. Uh, dealt with conceptually and, and in the world at large in an orderly way. And so you see that there's been different theoretical models that people have put forward to try and accomplish. Like one of the keys that most, I never hear anybody talk about this, so I'm going to bring it up because I think it's significant. There was a book written. Uh, I know it looks like, Empire, you have me on Rose reverse Rose. image. You have to read backwards. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. But uh, American Empire, Roosevelt's geographer, the prelude to globalization, and it's it's really a remarkable study because it deals with something that that most people never heard of. That there's a guy named Isaiah Bowman who lived from 1878 to 1950, and he's like the most famous geographer geographer of the 20th century and it says for nearly four decades bowman operated around the vortex of state power working to build an american order to the global landscape an explorer of the famous Picchu expedition of 1911 who came to be known first as woodrow wilson's geographer and later as franklin d roosevelt's bowman was present at the creation of u.s liberal foreign policy A quarter century later, Bowman was at the center of Roosevelt's State Department, concerned with the disposition of Germany and heightened U.S. access to European colonies. He was described by Dean Acheson as a key architect of the United Nations. So you have these guys that are are coming out with these these models, uh, geopolitical models, to serve uh, the nexus of power. And I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, like, we're on the wrong team. You know, we're we're on Darth Vader's team. It, it, the way it's, it's starting to look like it more and more, you know, that the the Sith lords have have gotten in the corridors of power and they're trying to to drive us into the ditch. But I think your friend that was on uh, uh, Luongo, he he's got a a good point, and it's an interesting point, is that. The ultimately, uh, all your your traders and your money market people, well, once they start getting a closer look at this and realize the end game, I don't think they're going to want it. And and I I find it hard to believe that these globalists can pull this off with, without the uh, friendship with with. Uh, wall Street i mean i just uh, I have a hard time grasping that 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 their uh lies and all that the way they're the way they're working this through the media would be capable of overcoming wall street
1: yeah, no, I think that was i think he made a great point with that is you have these these human transcendent globalist techno marxists who also need to they have to have everything on their side in order to win and in a lot of cases they can and they're doing it well with academia the media even a lot of the military and intelligence but you're trying to have these these utopian socialists have to get on board a bunch of wolf of wall street types i just don't you're trying to trying to convince a bunch of frat boys to vote on legislation that there should be no beer on campus and it's like (laughs) hey man you might be able to get them to help out with a fundraiser or whatever but what you you're You're going to the university of georgia and trying to outlaw football games as part of a (laughs) grand scheme you might be able to get them on board for all of it but you get to that point it's like the football like program at like an SEC school is the deep state of that college. If they're the one, all the all the money goes through them. Like they are the Illuminati of that college. Like, and so I do think that's what we're going to see is what we're going to see are factions. And any time there is a faction, I do think it's generally better for everyone when there's not just whether it be an American-led world or whether it be a communist world. I don't think one party rule is ever too beneficial i think everyone benefits
0: from friction and competition well that's the american system is is that whole idea of uh, the interaction the the ultimately was framed by Fichte oris- originally but became famous through hegel the the, the dialectic you know Thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and, and so that there's that churning that goes back. You know, it's kind of like the in the, the Rig Veda that the universe was was created by the struggle between the, the devas and the asuras churning the sea of milk, right? And, and uh, which may be more true than we think, because we, after all, we do live in the Milky Way. You know? <laughs> But I think that if you look at it and you get at what Madison was talking about, the, the you can get I don't want to get too into critical details, but there's certain uh, forces that were working into uh, our government that, that made it compatible with what has arisen its head as, as corporate interests. And anytime there's a centralization of power, uh, it could be very much a bad thing. I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, the, the pre Christian uh, Northern European culture had to do with a group of 12 surrounding one individual in the center. And that, that each one of the 12, it's like the, it's, for example, in the Knights of the Round Table, the 12 Knights of the Round Table around King Arthur. But it becomes problematic if that one guy, hey, he's not a nice guy. You know, he's like a Klaus Schwab or a George Soros, you see. And so when you centralize things, you leave yourself vulnerable. See? And that was the checks of balance. That was the whole idea that nobody in government would be in possession of so much power that it could become uh, inverted. And, that, and then what we're seeing now is an inver- in- inversion of power so that you have uh, government now is diametrically opposed to serving the interests of the people. I mean, that's, that's a pretty uh, frightening thing to think about. But the checks and balances are there on paper. Whether or not we can get anybody who isn't blackmailed or bought to be able to proceed, that's the challenge. Well, well like what, what happened recently with Pfizer. You know, they, were, they put in for a 75-year sealing of their documents, and one judge comes up and says, no way. And so what happens uh, in excess of 500 pages come out that show that that there's some, what, I believe it's 1,213 side various side effects or, or, or conditions that can arise from, from getting the jab. I mean, that's that's why they had to change the narrative. I mean, that's why I'll say, oh, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Oh, no, you don't need those little... Uh, strips on the floor to show somebody how far six feet is so they had to change the narrative to to meet the challenge it's it's so transparent that people are figuring things out and like and like like george webb said the other day in less time than it takes to watch uh, a movie they've already been debunked so that's that's where we're living right now. And so it it is kinda of like a roller coaster ride and figuring out, you know, how bad is this gonna get?
1: Yeah, it's um yeah. what do you think about uh and actually might be having George Webb on today for an impromptu episode. It's the shittiest water bottle ever. Won't we'll open it and won't we'll close. Um what do you think about i mean yeah in terms of like in terms of narrative falling apart faster and faster i mean it was like less than seven days ago that they started this they started the censorship around uh ukraine just like they did with covid and the 2020 election there were things you weren't allowed to say and uh whereas the covid is still up if you talk about ivermectin you'll get banned from youtube but this this has been an incredibly shortened uh, lifetime of narrative creation, maintenance, and dissolution. It was less than a week. If you talked about, if you said there are U.S. biolabs in Ukraine, uh, that's a conspiracy theory and misinformation. To about a couple days later, they said there are some research institutions. To a couple days later, they said there are some U.S. Uh, bio labs, but they're not offensive in nature. To finally, I think yesterday, them saying we can't let the Russians take control of these because we are researching weaponized smallpox and anthrax. <laughs> I mean, does it not almost feel like, I mean, it almost feels like there's like a, a god or a, or a quantum AI in charge and it's going, how can I wake up the populace? I could tell them the world's run by demons, but they're all in cognitive dissonance. What if I just show them the first COVID narrative? That one took two years. That was uh, that was that was narrative breaking 101, and now we're gonna move on to a quicker course. I'm gonna show them uh, military-industrial complex propaganda, and it showed us in seven days. (laughs) Like, it almost (laughs) seems like there's something that's like, all right, you know. Mom and dad can tell you don't drink too much, but it's not until you drink way too much the first time and you're throwing up all night and you're hung over for two days that you go, oh, don't drink too much. (laughs) I mean, man, you can tell everyone that everything's a narrative and that the media has been controlled by the CIA since the 50s and that all these, you know, deep state revolving door powers don't have you in mind or you show them. Banned from Twitter seven days later, making a formal press conference. Still not awake? All right. We'll we'll go to we'll go to class one oh three. We'll go to class one oh four. The classes will continue until you pass. So like it's like what it's like what Joe Rogan used to say about like early twenty teens. He would always say on his podcast, it almost feels like the universe is fucking with us. It's just trying to get us to wake up without overtly telling us to wake up and it throws things in here now. Now and again. Right. The big one is like we like we live on a rock revolving around a star. Like some people wake up with that. But if you don't wake up, it'll keep throwing you things that are a little more and more obvious. And he was like, you know, a guy named Anthony Weiner gets caught sending dick pics. Still not waking up. All right. We're going to keep the ride going. It almost feels like keep the ride going like you're not you're not awake yet all right another go around we'll do it again. <laughs> I don't know, man
0: I well know. and that's that's kind of the beauty of it. It, it and it almost makes you think you know in spite of all the 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 uh horrid events that are that are transpiring. Well, you know, Obama had seven different uh, theaters of warfare going on at the same time, yeah. right? And so we fold these things then, you know, we close up the lawn chair and we pull our armies out of Afghanistan. and And so what happens? Well, these guys... They want to use their stuff. They want to sell their stuff. So yeah. what can we do? Oh, great. Well, let's get rid of this COVID stuff and we'll go screw these people over here. And that's basically what we're looking at is this whole idea of this this empire mentality of having a warfare economy. And so you get into like, if you go back to like uh, the dialogues of Plato, which are so... Central, I mean, the republic, the whole idea of republic comes from Plato, right? But uh, an early translator of of, uh, Plato's writings was Thomas Taylor, a British individual, who was very influential on the American transcendentalists because they read a lot of his translations. And his translations, while you might be challenged by uh, certain Greek scholars, nonetheless, they have incredible footnotes. And so this guy had a, a deep grasp of you Neoplatonic know, thinking and, and the relationship of philosophy, the ancient mysteries and all of that, right? But in there, there's this one point that clearly sticks out like a big red herring in his translations because, see, Socrates, he didn't give you answers. If you, if you look at it, the whole idea of the Socratic dialogue is that he'll ask a question, and then one of his students will reply, right? And that's the way it, it continues throughout. So he's not trying to like give you doctrines, like say the Buddha, the Buddha's like telling you, this is the way to do it. So if you if you do what I did, then that'll work. And so people that are Buddhists, they want to become more like Buddha. Mm-hmm. Whereas whereas Socrates, He's trying to get you to be more like yourself. See, which is a, a inherently Western way of looking at things. But in in the dialogue, uh, he says "sigure," okay, which which Thomas Taylor translates it as "certainly," but it would really be more accurate to to translate it "it seems so," which would be uh, "etzufanite." Si and so it seems so, you know, it's, it's it's that whole idea of the open set that you don't have all the information yet. So there's no point in, in closing your mind off and thinking you've got it figured out and then go around and yell at people and, and try to, to bully them into seeing the world the way you do, which I'm getting that kind of feedback uh, from time to time from individuals, because they're certain that it's, this group over here, or that group over there, and and it, it, it's easy for us to get caught in in that whole thing. When you understand an important point that that Rudolf Steiner had made about the Bolshevik Revolution, he says part of the difficulty, and I'm paraphrasing, is that the the type of consciousness that that Tsar had is. Very much the same as the consciousness of the Bolsheviks—that that whole like, that whole like kind of uh, abstract rational way of looking at the world—and that is not uh, significant enough or, or expansive enough to be able to allow uh, input from a higher order of being. See. And that's where you get into the whole idea of of Plotinus, the Neoplatonic philosophers, the ideas of the good, the true, and the beautiful. That that's the ideal human is a person who lives in service of the good, the true, and the beautiful. And if you look at at Plotinus himself, he was so respected. It was in a decadent period of Rome. Rome was just having these weird, uh, bizarre, drunken, Orgies and just it was just totally going into decline and excess. Yet you had Plotinus, and the richest people in in Rome, they would pick Plotinus to be the executor of their estate and custodian of their children should they die. And he actually had a couple hundred or so uh, children in his care. That he would attend to and make sure that the their estate was transferred to them properly and managed. He was, I mean, what an incredible self-sacrificing individual he was. In spite of the the darkness of that time, you have this guy, who I'm sure he must have glowed in the dark. He was so <laughs> profound. And so you see, you could you could be that guy. You don't have to be one of these other guys who's trying to bully other people into being what you think they should do. Mm-hmm. See, and that's that's the world of, that I feel we're living in now because we've been given so much latitude as far as human activity that uh, we could literally drive it right into the ditch. We have the freedom to do that, see? Uh, or we can find a way forward that is, is a redemption of, of human destiny. See? And so the, it, the jury's not in yet. There There is that freedom, I believe. But when you look at freedom, you say, well, what does that mean? And, and I'm of the ilk that I think that, that what Rudolf Steiner again said is so important is that the free freedom in a human being is in the realm of thought. If and that's, that's the big if, because you won't find it in abstract rationalism or materialism. There's no freedom there. And that was the struggle of Schiller in his letters on the aesthetic education of man, because he said there's two fundamental aspects of the human being. There's that drive of nature, and then there's the, the, the structure of reason. And if we follow either one of those dictates, we're not free. And that that the artist is is the individual that can balance that that uh, mental principle of order, reason, and the the chaotic uh, force of driving of nature. And so, what can you do? And he said that uh, a human being is is most completely human when he's at play. And so that was that. It's that whole idea of the delicate balance, and that. But yet, Rudolf Steiner took it a step further and said, Well, it is possible to find freedom within the realm of thought and in the realm of will, not just in the realm of, of feeling like, like Schiller had accomplished. See, so that there is a way forward, but it's an individual way. And that's the, that's the thing that, that people have a hard time with because they, they want to, by nature, try and, and work. In, in a clique or a herd or a group or a faction. And that there's that innate tendency that's a carryover from our past where we were tribal in nature and all that. But this is the time of the individual. This is the time for individuals to be able to state who they are as an individual, irrespective of what group they belong to. I don't care what your religion is or your philosophical background. You could... Uh, find a, a greater sense of, of this human element, that, that to be truly human. I mean the word human is like a "chi" is like light and, and man is like manas in Sanskrit the thinking principle. So it's like the the light of the thinking principle. And that that's the something that we're We're looking for because, like in the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about the uh, the divi prakriti. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's like the higher level of 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 prakriti, and prakriti is like the the origin or natural form or primary substance of things. Right. That's the that's the inherent isness, and the. The higher procreity is like the the light of the logos, and like in the in in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was a God. That 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 whole idea that it's our our destiny to strive towards embodying that principle, so like Saint Paul says. Not, not I, but Christ in me. That that we have to come to a point at which we we realize that the only viable human way to move forward is is through the guiding principle of conscience, which is the active nature of love.
1: So, in a sense, it really doesn't matter when you're alive or what's going on. You can be. You, you can. Be you can be the best you whether you're on a sinking titanic or whether you're in the decline of rome or whether you're in 2022 is that what you're saying
0: well i wouldn't go that far because that this what i'm just discu- the way i'm discussing this is not something that that uh, a medieval philosopher would have said i mean that, that's not in his toolbox the, the type of thinking that we're capable of at this time in the in the in what's called the Age of the Consciousness Soul that's been the modern era since like 1414. 14. I work with astronomical uh, cycles of the procession of the equinox and the ages and all of that, esoteric Christian uh, scheme or uh, syntagma, right? That This ordering. But it's not my ordering. It's the order of the universe itself. You know, there's... In the in the Platonic great year, there's twenty five thousand nine hundred and twenty years, according to the classical version of it, and that's one degree precession of the equinox every seventy two years. Well, you take on average twenty five thousand nine hundred twenty breaths in a day, and so a human life is considered, you know, about seventy two years. Yeah. And so we're we're part of an order already. <clears throat> We don't have to superimpose one. We're living in one. Uh, a cube has twelve edges. Period. Yeah. It doesn't have thirteen edges, right? Yeah. And so there, there is this this inherent uh, wisdom that, that that the universe is not random. That it, it's living result of the activity of beings. That's one of the primary considerations that Rudolf Steiner works from is the whole idea of the, the understanding of the angels and the archangels and the archai and the, the curiosities or the, well, the Exousiae Curiotetes, well, I got in the wrong order now. I keep inverting it. It's the Exousiae Dunamis curiosities and then Thones, uh, Seraphim cherubim. And so there's that whole order of of nine hierarchy that is, is in his teachings, a reality. And that's the biblical uh, tradition that leads back to Dionysius, the first bishop of Athens, who was a student of St. Paul. And so people that come in from perhaps a fundamentalist viewpoint and try to conflict with what I'm, I'm referring to, well, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, uh, angels are cropping up all over the place. What is that? Now, yeah, are there really actually people that that know how to relate to that realm? And the answer is yes. And they're called initiates. And, and Rudolf Steiner is one of them, and he's not the only one. I mean, there's there was Giuliano Sateslis in Cyprus. There was uh, Peter Dunoff in Bulgaria. Those are we, along with Rudolf Steiner, three of the leading representatives of the esoteric Christian impulses in in the last hundred years or so. And so that's 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 what I work on, you know, and I, I don't imply that anybody has, to, has, it has to be their way of looking at things, but that's what I'm working on.
1: So what lesson are we going to learn then from what's going on right now? What is there to
0: be learned from this? Well, St. Paul said, "Ye shall be as the angels. That basically, if you pull it off, being a human being, to where you can accomplish what Rudolf Steiner describes as a a spirit of freedom and love, that you graduate from being a human and then, then... next stage of of the evolution of consciousness after the end of the earth as we know it is that we enter into the angelic realm that we get to become angels and after that archangels and after that archive that the whole system of ordering is continually evolving okay, that's that's the, the beauty of it Like, like what. Did my conversation with Thomas Binyakia, the spokesman for the Hopi elders, you know, when I told him that that, that Earth is the fourth world, and he said, "Yes, that's 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 what we say in our teachings too." So this is not just something that Rudolf Steiner drummed up. And mind you, if you look at his body of work, is half feet of shelf space to, to for the and the collected edition, which includes over 6,000 lectures and, and over 50 published books and articles and, and numerous plays, works of art, uh, stupendous works of architecture. I mean, you look at the, the, just the output of this individual and you look at it like I have for the last 50 years and realize that it's entirely internally consistent and that you couldn't confabulate and be consistent yeah so that there's there's something behind what he's talking about
1: yeah yeah it, it's it's truth right you can't you can't keep the covid narrative going about vaccines because you're eventually you're gonna get caught up in your lie versus just like there are certain truths like biological science is it just is what it is and you can't the consistency is because it wasn't There was no narrative. There was no whip. There was no getting everyone in line to toe the line. Justice. It it just is. You don't... There's no marriage of corporation and state to ensure that the sun rises tomorrow. It's just... It's just gonna fucking do it.
0: Well, that's just it. And when you get into, like, say, for example, the Frankfurt School, you know, that whole group of... of, uh, Trying to control the narrative and, and push it into a socialist direct, direction, you know, it's like that's infiltrated the academic institutions all over America, and so you got these people uh, in education, educating our kids, and and trying to control them and manipulate them and. It's just, it's pathetic what's, what's going on in education. And it really strongly goes back to when, when uh, President Carter created the Department of Education, that there would be a federal central command for education, which is a completely different from the real tradition of Plato's Academy and uh, the Lyceum of Aristotle. Because it's that whole idea of Socrates, again, going back to uh, him asking questions he, and and let the person come to it out of their own being as to, you know, is is this true? Well, it seems so, right? Because we don't have all the information. So going back to what you're saying about science, that whole idea of, of that there's such a thing as settled science, that's, I, I say BS, there isn't. Because yeah. you know, why is it if it's settled science? It's then Why, why, why is it? Bring... Why do you got to bring it up? Settled? Yeah, settled. every year they got to come out with a new and improved edition because it's not settled.
1: Well, no, they just no. It's this is set, settled, settled er science. This one's more settled. It, yeah. This one's more. settled. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a geological layer.
0: <laughs> it goes back to what you were saying about inventions. It's like I I remember the. Uh, Back when I was uh, assistant in a laboratory doing research on the heart and about how the heart has a rotational movement uh-huh. that causes the vortex movement of the blood. And uh, Dr. Cowan was, was part of that circle of people that I was working with. But I was Ralph Marinelli's lab assistant and doing the original work on that, which eventually got published. But the whole idea that the heart has a rotational movement and and but after the work came out a lot of these doctors were they're talking like they already knew that yeah well if you already knew that why didn't you say it yeah. well it, it's because it, it represented a truth that but it hadn't crossed their mind to, to make that truth significant because I remember Dr. George Goodhart was a friend of mine. He used to call me the only other guy he knew who understood the motion of the heart, and which is, that's a big step, but the whole idea that it's rotating because, see, another friend of mine, when he was born, uh, Dr. Goodhart, who's the father of... of uh, kinesiology, you know, muscle testing and all that stuff, that comes from him. And he was an amazing guy. In his 80s, and he looked like he was 50 and had the clearest eyes of anybody I knew. But he would say, uh, my friend said that he, when he was born, he had a problem with his heart and they had to crack his chest open. And, and Dr. Goodhart massaged his heart and got it moving again, but he noticed when the heart started beating, that the motion was, was rotational, which was like a big, you know, okay, well, why is that? What's the point of the rotational motion of the heart? And you could say, well, what's the point of the rotational motion of the galaxy? Everything's uh, got this kind of uh, rotational activity, yeah. I mean, get I studied Aikido for many years and they talk about ki and people like to describe ki like it's this particular energy. But my my uh, Aikido instructor would say, well, ki, the way in which the universe moves. Okay. And when you go back to C.G. Harrison, he said, all things arise from vortices. Okay, so that the that whole idea of the vortex and you can tie that into that whole idea of orderly arrangement I discussed earlier, of syntagma. And then you can tie that into the procession of the equinox with the 25,920 breaths in a day representing roughly the rotational axis of the earth going backwards through the zodiac uh, one time in roughly 20, 25,920 years. And so you see that there's this whole harmony that's happening that we participate in and that we have a freedom of movement within this harmony within certain constraints. I mean, if it's raining outside, you're going to have to take an umbrella or you're going to get wet. Yeah, But you can go outside See, so they, it's not like we're, we're imprisoned in this, yeah. in, in in the sense of uh, certain fatalistic uh, kismet, like they they talk about in in uh, Islam, that whole idea of the fate. It's it's the will of of, of Allah. Yeah. Well, okay, it's the will of uh, Allah, but you can't tell me that it didn't have to go that way, yeah, but it did go that way. So yeah. I guess, okay, I'll give you that. I'm just questioning whether or not the, the human activity that, that resulted in that particular activity occurring at all, what's the nature of freedom? And that's where you get into, like, the individual that occupied most philosophers, uh, you know, 100 or 200 years ago is Immanuel Kant's critique of pure reason. You know, and you get into that whole idea. And the, the whole, there's a whole series of, of philosophers, all of which trying to figure out what is what is the will, what is free will, what is freedom? Is freedom free? Is it really something? Do we really have freedom? And, and Rudolf Steiner, through his own path, was able to find that that in this book, The Philosophy of Freedom, that's also translated, the title is The Philosophy of Spiritual Activity. It's through that principle that we find our greatest freedom.
1: I was just kind of thinking, and I can, I can do about five five more minutes. I actually have an impromptu episode coming up in 10 minutes with George Webb. And uh, speak of the devil. I was just thinking about vortices. And it's like you can almost see, like, the imprint, like, the double helix. It's not like an up-and-down ladder. It's like the entire thing is just twisting. It, it seems like it really is, right? I mean, there's electrons spin. And then the electrons themselves are orbiting. Like, they're spinning, but they're... Like, the Earth is spinning, but the Earth is also orbiting the sun and doing revolutions. Electrons oh. are spinning, and they're orbiting. And it's the earth is spinning and it's orbiting the moon is spinning and it's orbiting us as we're spinning and orbiting the sun which is spinning and orbiting the center of the milky way which is being pulled along in local clusters and superclusters and or the local groups and then the clusters and superclusters and the superclusters are pulled into galactic filaments and voids and <clears throat> it does seem to be that there is this sort of just dancing there is, like, this massive choreographed dance going on. And, like, you can kind of just, if you want, you can kind of, it's like you're on, like, a river. You're on, like, a raft. There's one of my favorite quotes I used to have, like, hung up on my wall during, like, the hardest times of my life. Like, the worst couple of years, 2014, 15. And it was, uh, at a certain point, it it was comparing life to like a river because at a certain point you stop kicking, you lift your legs up and you let the river carry you home. And it's like, at a certain point it's like you can stop because that doesn't mean be limp. That doesn't mean don't stand for anything, but there's like a much subtler, like, you know, row with the current, not against it. And there's a beauty to that.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a skill too. Yeah,
1: it's like sailing. Ramdas, your buddy,
0: your, my your mentor player. of sorts. <clears throat> he tells that story. I don't know whether I've discussed it with you before. I don't recall, but the story of a, a surfer that he met who was out on a tropical island that he he moved there was living off of just foraging off, you know, eating coconuts and fishing and whatnot. And he would just meditate and then go out and surf. But he was on this island because it had the perfect waves, you know, and he could just, you know, on any given day just sail for just a tremendous length because of the the depth of the shore as it, as it went into the ocean so that he could, he could paddle, you know, a mile or two out and then ride waves to this island, but one day a tidal wave showed up, right? And so, what's the guy going to do? Well, he rode the tidal wave. But see, he had the skill yeah. to be able yeah. to do that, and so he was able to ride it and eventually get to the top. And then, you know, they they go over the top, and you can ride down. And there was a series of of smaller and smaller ways behind that. But because he had the skill, he could do that. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I, I I don't know if you could do that or not. Yeah. But the point is, is that there is a certain skill involved and that, that there is training that one can do to be able to fortify and strengthen one's capacities, to be able to be... Uh, accommodating to circumstances that arise you know and if you're well adjusted you know if you're not totally uh benighted by uh you know like i don't know ptsd or what have Mm -hmm. you i mean you look at what people are struggling with and they're basically trying to put the world into a state of ptsd that we're in a traumatic state and so we're not going to be able to function in our full capacities and so what we need to do is to, to uh, get in our toolkit uh, methods like you have your meditation and whatnot uh, that will give us the capacity to be able to, to not get caught in sympathy or antipathy because you're only going to find clarity if you can get beyond sympathy and antipathy, like and dislike. Then you can look at when you meet a person instead of like, Oh, I don't like their their green jacket, or you know. I mean, we automatically go into judgment, and that's what that does is that is that kind of uh, prevents us from from getting into clarity. Is, is uh, the things that we like, the things that we don't like. If we can just rise above that sympathy and antipathy, that's it's really out of the realm of feeling. And you know that like you'll think something through, but ultimately it's in the realm of feeling that you make a decision. Hmm. But is there clarity in in feelings when there's excessive emotion? Uh, Feelings and emotions are not the same thing. They're in the same realm. But see, feeling is a a cognitive, it's a perception. Emotion is a response. So you have to clarify your emotions. If you can clarify your thinking, then that's the third eye, two-petal lotus. Clarifying feeling is the logos principle. That's the the 16-petal lotus that, that Buddha accomplished so well. And then you have the 12-petal lotus of the heart. That's the will. And that's that love. Can you, can you bring that to the table? Can that be your operating principle? That's that's a challenge. Is I didn't say any of this stuff was easy, but at least if you have some idea what you're dealing with, you're gonna find that these are valuable things to know. So
1: Putin invading Ukraine is kind of the tidal wave. How are we gonna? Yeah. How are we gonna surf it? How are we gonna surf it?
0: Yeah, and is he invading? is he really invading ukraine or is he just taking out bio labs we don't know
1: it, the the plot yeah. that i've i've now had on people that have definitively said he's a russian aggressor and he's slaughtering and i have people said that he's defending his country that people that said this is all world economic forum charade i've had others say he's fighting the world economic forum i'm trying to take in all the data points i'm trying to figure, i think that's how i surf though is i take in data points and I try to keep my mind open to all of them, and that allows me. That's my surfing is, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you, don't, if you don't get fooled by the sense of closure, aha, I figured it out.
1: Yeah, that's the red flag. It's this simple. The science is settled, and Putin's a Nazi. And I'm like, well, maybe he is. Maybe, he is. again, even what we said earlier about Fauci. If you and I conclusively go, no, he's an evil guy, that's our own closure. That's our own. Is the universe oh, it reminds not
0: me of it? He's talking about. He's talking about. I, I believe it was the Treasury Secretary that he got rid of. He said, He's a nice guy, but he's a globalist. But he's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like just because uh, somebody's a demon doesn't mean you wouldn't have fun playing golf with them you know i mean it doesn't mean you might not have fun
1: weird. you might doesn't mean you might not have fun being a demon with them
0: well keep in mind okay because the first person to recognize jesus christ that, that that he was the christ was saint peter but yet not much time goes by and what happens uh you it it, him uh, three okay. times well yeah and but he also pipes up uh in the conversation Peter does and, and, and Christ says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're all capable of of falling off the horse. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get back on, but we should try and check ourselves and, and see, are we really, is this really truth? Or is it just some, some caricature of truth that we've, we're choosing some meme that we've wrapped our heads around and we're going to you know, like bullying other people into agreeing with us. I mean, that's a real, that's a real challenge. It's not easy. It's not fucking well, up. I can't thank you enough. I have a tremendous regard for, for your Thanks. fluidity. <laughs> you know, you have this uh, capacity to wrap your head around diversity, which I think is meaning diversity in thinking. I know. I don't mean in in the, the I mean I've got some
1: I've got some nice diversity hires on my podcast. Me
0: too Me too. Uh version
1: my, my, my inclusive podcast studio with my many my many gendered employees. It's just <laughs> it's just me. This is the most there's no diversity here. It's a monarchy. It's a it's a it's a one man dictatorship. But you can't really criticize it because I'm not dictating over anybody. It's I mean I, I'm just gradually losing my mind as as I do more and more episodes just but yeah,
0: right. it goes back to to uh two thousand one that monolith. what is that thing? yeah, yeah uh, that's oh fuck I was
1: trying to think of something I saw with that Uh oh, theres well, Stanley
0: Kubrick I yeah. mean that talk about a guy are you guys an absolute genius, yeah. right I mean it's real clear. And he presaged so many things that we're going through in in so many of his movies. It's like he's been warning us, you know, all along.
1: What if there is, like, a monolith in Ukraine and they're going in to get it?
0: Well, yeah, you know... So we got to start worrying about the black goo all over again.
1: You're right, that's just the, It's going to be the next thing. Like we cannot let the Russians get the monolith. We need the monolith, and it's like, what the fuck is going? Hold on, fuck all. Turn the TV off. Fuck COVID. Fuck World War Three. I'm gonna go chop some firewood. Fuck all you. Like we we must get everyone's gonna change their picture to the monolith. We got to get the monolith first. What are you? Are you no. with Putin?
0: Well, there is that, you know, and it, it goes back to it was the whole idea of the spirit of destiny and all that. And, and, uh, it was the spirit of Antioch, you know, that was the... my One of my uh, oldest uh, ancestors I traced back was uh, Roger de Bonville, and he was beheaded at the, at the gates of Antioch, right? And when, once they... One, the, the, the Antioch, the, the, uh, is said that they were able to get the spear of Longinus, which is the spear that pierced the side of Christ and released the blood of Christ to enter into the earth. Now, whether or not the spear of Antioch is the actual spear of Longinus, the, the, the spear of Antioch, it's in possession of the people that I know, is of the proper uh, metallurgy, its the proper type of spear, uh, and uh, it, it would have been carried in the uh, first Crusade. You know, and so there are totems that that represents something, and it's not nothing. There there are sacred relics that represent something, and a lot of times the power of of the relic is that there's people that believe that it has that power. And that it's actually, if they really knew, that wasn't the real relic. But yet, it empowered them. It gave them a mm-hmm. sense of, of uh, fortitude to be able to move forward. And so, I think there's that whole totem uh, concept that, that is still relevant. And that's that mimetic thing again. And you have to you have to be very careful with these things because. they they tend to work into you on an unconscious level so that you have things that are working in you that are unconscious. I'm trying to get people to be more conscious. I'm not trying to send memes into them to to hypnotize them.
1: Yeah, I don't want to dominate anyone. Yeah, I want want them to be totally aware.
0: And that's like the shortfall of ritual work like Freemasonry, for example. Yeah. Those symbols all mean something, but... uh, Good luck. Go to a Masonic Lodge and trying to find somebody that actually knows what they mean. Well, I've written two books, and they will tell you what all that stuff means. The Arcana of the Grail Angel, which is uh spiritual signs of the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, a study developed out of the work of Rudolf Steiner, the underground streams of esoteric Christianity, which flowed from the brotherhood of the Holy Grail, The Order of Knights Templar and the True Rosicrucian Order, some 640 pages. And then there's the Arcana of Light on the Path, which is more of a meditative tool. And included in them are extensive diagrams that lay out this uh, cosmology, the meta-narrative that's involved in these things. And I have them available. I have a limited number of copies left. And you you can get them on eBay for me directly or... You could send me a private message on, uh, Facebook or through my academia link. And, and uh, I almost forgot to mention that, you know, it's, uh, part of what I do. I'm, a, I'm an author and, uh, but I have so much fun talking to Tommy that I was, I almost forgot to mention it. I wasn't going to like,
1: I wasn't going to, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to plug it. That's my, that's my, that's my expertise. Um. I was gonna say you should put those on Audible, man. I think you should narrate them. Well, I had thought about it. I really do think you should. You have a good voice, and people like me devour audiobooks. I have the attention span of a squirrel when it comes to reading books. Audiobooks, I can take down a thirty-hour book, a, a dense tome. Reading, I can barely read like the directions to like a microwaveable dinner. <laughs> so
0: You're probably right. Well, you'll have to send me links to, to, so I can get that up to Steam because I, I I conceptually hear what you're saying, but I'm unaware of the platform.
1: Audible? Yeah, it's just audiobooks,
0: yeah. Now, I know there's audiobooks, but I assume what you're referring to is a specific uh, platform.
1: Oh, yeah, Audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E. It's owned by Amazon, but it's kind of... Oh, right, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's part of the Big Evil Corporation, but it's like, it's the best one, best quality, easiest to use. It's where where they all are. Um, Yeah, but Mr. John Barnwell, another roller coaster of a podcast. We will absolutely do another one. And um, yeah, so all those links will be in the description as always. And um, I will send this to you when it's up and have you spread it around as I shamelessly ask you to plug my podcast. And uh, aside from that, closing thoughts.
0: Uh, I've, for once, I'm at a loss for words. So I guess we get into uh, meditation is the cessation and the modifications meditation. of the mind. Meditation is
1: the cessation of the modifications of the mind. The title of our first episode. Fuck yeah, Mr. John Barnwell. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on here. Always a pleasure to talk. And uh, actually, in Sunday, Leo Zagami, part two. So that one's oh, yeah. that one's going to be exciting, but um, yeah, he's always fun. He is. He's a character. I love him. Um, but for now, let's wrap this one up. I hope George Webb shows up. He should show up unless the CIA's finally killed him, which isn't out of the realm of possibility because George has been talking about Ukrainian bio
0: labs for years now. But well, I think he he has a dead man switch somewhere. Oh, yeah, he-
1: I I hope he does. Yeah, I bet he does. George isn't stupid.
0: Yeah. I hope so. Well, he's SIS, so I don't see why he wouldn't. He's, he probably is Klaus Schwab. He's
1: going to take off his master in one episode and it's going to be Klaus. And he's, gonna, I was playing both sides all along.
0: <laughs> he's got a background in the senior intelligence service. Yeah. And, uh, he doesn't talk about it. I know. But, uh, you know that's why he can has a lot of the capabilities that he has it's just a question I don't endorse people I endorse ideas and and so uh, people ask me what I think about this or that person and, and I, I tell you what I I'll tell you about most anybody including yourself is that you know I agree with you when I agree with you and I disagree with you when I disagree with you and I hope that we can get together sometime and share a cup of coffee fucking right beautifully said
1: mr john barnwell let's wrap this shit up i will send it to you everybody else out there stay safe god bless and uh pray the world war three away it'll might maybe it'll work i don't know
0: recording stopped
1: take care man